You know, even experienced people in the application process, I find oftentimes confuse or, or conflate terms that you shouldn't. I typically consider my sheep applications a donation to conservation. Come on, government, stop letting us down. Like, well, let's freaking figure out how to t- keep track of what's going on in your state. It's so simple. You need to know if you have a muzzleloader in Montana versus Washington versus Arizona versus Utah. They're all treated very differently in terms of the restrictions associated with them. There used to be this sort of legitimate fear that, oh, what happens if I drop too many tags in one year, right? That's a thing of the past. This is Jared Lyle here from the Hunt and Fool on the Wild Initiative podcast. Put down your latte and pull on your boots. There's a lot of people that can pull the trigger on an animal, but they don't know what to do with it after. If you would have told me that a stupid turkey was going to make me get that excited, I would have told you you were crazy. It's just a skill that you have to perfect over a lot of years. Hunting is a tribal activity. We've lost the tribe. We can't even hunt together anymore. Well, the people that are anti-hunting are usually pro-abortion. So kill the people, save the animals. I just remember riding my horse back to camp with the northern lights and the moose behind me, and I'm like, this is why I've done this. This is as cool as an experience as I will get. Hi, this is Jim Shockey. This is Sam Sohol, the public land bus guy. Hi, I'm Kimmy Greentree. Hi, this is South Cox with the Western Bowhunter Podcast. Hey, this is Ben Dedamonte, a.k.a. Shed Crazy. You're listening to The Wild Initiative. Hey, y'all, welcome to another episode of The Wild Initiative, brought to you as part of the Waypoint Outdoor Collective. Whether you're just looking to stay warm during a hunt or need maximum concealment, the clothing you wear can make or break a hunt. At MidwayUSA.com, we understand hunting clothing has come a long way with more meticulously crafted camo patterns, advanced scent control technologies, and weatherproof options to withstand the elements. Hunters have to wait until their favorite season, but shouldn't wait on gear, which is why MidwayUSA offers super fast shipping. When you're ready for your next system, log on to MidwayUSA.com. Knives, machetes, saws, and shears, multi-tools, shovels, swords, axes, spears, hatchets, and tomahawks. If it cuts, snips, slices, or chops, Midway USA has it. Find great gift ideas in our huge selection of pocket knives and other everyday carry folding knives. Make a statement or create a family legacy with one of our top-of-the-line hunting knives. We've got a great selection of manual and electric sharpeners, too. For just about everything for the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. All right, y'all, so getting on to today's episode, this is... An episode that I've really been wanting to do for quite a while now, because I think for a lot of us uh, that are fairly new to hunting, this is one of the most intimidating and confusing parts of the whole process. And that is the dreaded draw, especially if you want to hunt multiple states, out of state, even in your own state. Sometimes it can be really confusing. So I'm super excited to have Gerald Lyle of Hunt and Fool here on the podcast with me. If y'all don't know about Hunt and Fool, we'll get into that a little bit, uh, what it is. But I am super excited to have him come on to really break down what is the the big game draw here in North America and how uh, some of the ways it works in different states. So, Jared, thank you so much for uh, joining me today. Oh, thank you. I appreciate being on here. I appreciate your patience with trying to align with my schedule too, or lack thereof. <laughs> I appreciate being here. You know, and uh, I'm I'm really glad we're doing this again because I think it's it's super necessary to uh, just really break it down in a, in a simple as simple as you possibly can make it for people. 
Um, and one thing I do want to note is we're also uh, going to be recording several episodes coming up specific to different species. So after y'all listen to this episode, uh, we're going to be releasing several more that detail out what you need to know if you want to start hunting specific species. So make sure to keep an eye out for those episodes. But uh, so, Jared, you know, before we kick this off, I want to give you a chance to really Tell us what is hunting fool. Yeah, you bet. No, I appreciate that opportunity. At the risk of sounding like a sales pitch, which <laughs> I don't want to do, because honestly, we just want to help members. Like literally, our mission is to help our members and the people that we interact with go on more hunts with better information. Like when we really distill what who we are and what we do, that's what it comes down to. And that information can include anything from gear selection to what unit should I apply for in Colorado with my nine preference points uh, to should I even consider applying in Washington state at all. Um, So, and then even more in depth than that, you know, we have personalized hunt consultations available to our members uh, to all of our all access members. And you can call up or email and ask questions like, you know, what, unit should I go in? And now that I've narrowed down my unit, can you help me actually kind of put together a hunt plan and, you know, maybe even an A, B, C, and D option. So, you know, we have a publication, we publish about 1500 pages of content a year. It's a monthly publication, six months out of the year, we chase the draw. Essentially we mirror the current draw periods that are open. Our magazines cover those specific states the nuances of the draw, unit breakdowns, trophy potential, harvest success, you name it. The other six months out of the year, we kind of focus on opportunity hunts, stuff that doesn't take you forever to go. We really believe that you should go on a high adventure hunt, at least one every year, (laughs) um, if your vacation budget and your uh, time budget allow you to do so. So um, yeah, we've we've got the publication, we've got hunt consultants, we have uh, an incredibly accurate draw odd system that allows you to even at uh, states that have points, plug your point level in and essentially see yourself in the draw more accurately, understand your true odds of, of acquiring tags throughout the year. Um, yeah, I guess at the end of the day, really, again, boiling it down to our mission statement, we want our clients and members to go on more hunts with better information. Well, you know, one of the things I do think is really awesome with Hunt Fool is it, one, you have access to these people. You can call them up and actually talk to someone because sometimes you just need to bounce those ideas back and forth. But two, it's more than just about the draw. It's about the whole hunt, you know, the hunt as a whole. And, and like you said, it's about there's gear selection and there's uh, even one, once you've drawn that unit, figuring out how to hunt that unit, there's, there's a lot more that hunt and fool I feel like offers than just, you know, immediately that's kind of what I think people want to boil it down to is like, Oh, that's where I find my draws. Right. And that's it. Right. And it's a lot more than that. Yeah. I mean, gear honestly can make or break a hunt, you know, and, and embarrassingly enough, hopefully this doesn't disqualify me to your more advanced listeners right out of the gate. But <laughs> You know, my team here has sort of made fun of me for my redneck ways with my binoculars where I would sit on the side of a mountain with my elbows propped on my knees or, you know, other forms of sort of binocular support. And they all are religious about glassing off of tripods, you know, whether they're running eights or tens or twelves or fifteens, it doesn't matter. Um, and honestly, I finally adopted that more religiously this year. And I don't know that I can ever go back. So even little things like that, just helping you be more efficient in the, in the mountains, uh, we get, we're very fortunate. We get to spend 
a ton of time in the field each fall, uh, thankfully due to the business model that we're a part of. And we do use that time both to vet gear and to test units. I actually incent our hunt advisors to deliberately go out and look at new units each year. They get a little bit of a hunt budget and 50% of that is required to be what we call exploratory hunts, meaning that A, you can acquire the tag easily and B, that individual has never hunted in that unit before. So we really try to put more boots on the ground on behalf of our members so we can turn back around and share that with them. That is, I mean, that's fantastic. And it's, it sounds like a pretty dang nice place to work too. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not complaining. (laughs) Um, So yeah, you know, you said a lot of words that I recognize as words in the English language, but you know, you're talking about points and you're talking about units and different states. There's a lot of stuff to break down in here. What just to start out with all of this, what is the draw? Like we say, you know, okay, it's time for the draw or we're, you're, we're prepping for the draw. What is the draw? Yeah, no, it's a good question. And honestly, this podcast might be just a little bit more dry than when we get to our species podcast, because this one's going to be a little bit of a vocabulary lesson. (laughs) But as you're, you know, even experienced people in the application process, I find oftentimes confuse or, or conflate terms that you shouldn't, right? There's nuances to the terms that make it difficult to understand the difference unless you really parse them and really actually define them. So yeah, I guess basically the draw or the application process is essentially how tags and permits are allocated in states that do an allocation system, right? There's some states that no matter how many white-tailed deer licenses are sold, they can still sell more. You can still go in and buy more, right? But most of the Western states are now on some sort of a quota system. And quite frankly, a lot of Eastern states are too, for that matter. And we can get into that later. But bottom line is, is the tags are allocated through either some form of an acquisition process. Some of those are through a random draw. Some of those are through a bonus point draw, a preference point draw, um, capped tags, over-the-counter tags, et cetera. So if I dive into each of those terms separately, you know, I guess the easiest tags to acquire are true over-the-counter tags. So we could use a state like Colorado uh, for their archery elk tags, where you can literally right up till the day you're going to go hunting in some units. Again, it's very important to understand that most states have different ways that they manage different portions of their state. And some are managed more tightly than others. But the units that you can, that are truly over the counter in Colorado, you can wait till the last minute, you can buy them. Then we have states like Idaho, who also has over the counter tags, but they're allocated. There's a certain cap on how many non-resident tags they'll issue. And this year in particular, they have really overhauled that system. It felt more like a draw. You had to (laughs) get into a virtual queue. You were in a virtual waiting room after you signed in and logged in. And then you had to get, they assigned a random number to you in line. And then you got this number and it said how many people were ahead of you, how long you had your estimated wait time was. Essentially you were part of a lottery system to get this quote unquote over the counter tag, right? Sounds like buying tickets for presale at a music festival, like is what it reminds me of. (laughs) Like you're trying to go to Coachella or something. Yeah, except for there was no reward for being in line early. They still had randomized it, right? So even if I had logged into Idaho, you know, two days early and sat here day and night refreshing my browser, 
um, at the end of the day, it was a total random reallocation right before the draw. And there was a lot of frustration around that. But so, yeah, you've got over the counter, you have this sort of capped over the counter where there's a certain amount of tags that are available first come first serve. And then you move into what I would call the random draw, which are states like Idaho, um, like New Mexico, and some other species inside of other states where there are no bonus points, there are no preference points. Every single year, if you're brand new to the draw, to the application, or if you've been doing it for 20 years, we're on the same exact playing field. They're going to dump us in to a random number generator and the lowest numbers out of the out of the hat, so to speak, get the tags. And then bonus and preference points are really important to understand the difference because I hear this even with seasoned applicants confusing these terms all the time. They talk about points interchangeably and there's, there's a pretty key difference in a bonus point draws. You're basically just earning more names in the hat, right? Um, So if I have 12 bonus points, my name might go in that hat 12 times, which does give me a better chance of drawing the permit or, or getting that lucky low number. But a preference point draw gives you preference in the draw, meaning if if my opponent, let's say we're competing for tags here, right? That's what's really happening, does not have as many preference points as I do, I'm guaranteed to draw before my quote unquote opponent does. It's just, just a mathematical fact. And in fact, in true preference draws, like Colorado's deer, mule deer tags, for example, if I don't have enough preference points to get to the, the minimum level required to compete for these tags, it's the equivalent. They're crumpling up my application, burning it in the fire and throwing it away. You know, I hear people make that mistake in Colorado for deer. Well, I might get lucky and, and swing for the fence and get that tag. It's like, no, you cannot, you're not even in the draw because you didn't have enough preference points to be a part of it. So again, I know it's pretty, um, I guess, boring, dictionary lessons here, but at the end of the day, they're important nuances because if you're going to plan a strategy that tries to put you in the woods every single year, you know, what things I like about a preference draw is I can predict when I'm going to acquire that tag. I can see the future mostly, right? Assuming that people don't jockey around a bunch. I can know that I need this many points and I will draw this tag. Whereas again, in those bonus point draws or random draws, it's a roll of the dice every year. And so Talking about the the preference points versus bonus points a, a little bit more, it almost feels like as a new hunter going into it, you, you almost want to prefer bonus point states because you'll still have that chance. You know, it's like, ah, so you're saying I still have a chance. <laughs> um, versus a... And, you know, you may, depending on the state, may want to keep putting in for preference points uh, to to build up to that level. But uh, like you said, just confirming, you know, it's a state may only allocate, say, for non-residents or residents, you know, whatever it is, 50 tags for for deer, for example. And so if there's 50 people that have more preference points than you, you are effectively just donating your application fee to, to buy that preference point. Correct. That is a hundred percent. Correct. Yep. And it's important to know that. Now I get what you're saying with the preference draw and it's, that's especially true for, for like once in a lifetime species and, and really sought after tags because the preference draw tends to get out of hand. And then you come in as a newbie and you're just never going to catch it. Right. I mean, if you don't have 18 sheep points in Wyoming right now, you might as well forget ever catching a preference draw 
for one of their coveted bighorn sheep tags. But, you know, I'll use, I'm going to use Colorado deer as an example right now. Um, in Colorado deer, if you're an archery hunter for the early archery tags, there are seven hunts that take six to 16 preference points to draw. After that, four points or less for the entire rest of the state, right? So we're talking just a, a year, zero points in some cases, up to three, four years, you can draw the majority of the tags in that state. So it's kind of a nice way to look at a state like Colorado, where you've got dozens and dozens of good options that take you less than four years to draw, but then all of a sudden the top seven take up to 16 years to draw. And you'll never catch that top one. Let's be honest. If you started today, you're not going to catch it, nor should you try, you know? And, and that's one of the things we try to advise at Hunt and Fool when people start into this early on is to understand the system that you're getting into and ask, and ask the right questions and have the right goals. You know, don't set your sights to draw, you know, unit 10 Colorado for any, for deer or elk if you're starting today because you're not ever going to draw it. Unless Colorado overhauls the system massively, right? Which could happen down the road, but we haven't seen it in a lot of time. So I feel like this brings up a term that you hear a lot when people are talking about uh, preference points specifically. It's the the idea of point creep. Mm-hmm. What what is what is point creep? Well, point creep is a real thing. I can assure you that. And sometimes <laughs> it's you know, in a perfect world, it would be one-to-one at worst case scenario. In a perfect world, you could start today and you would gain ground over the years at acquiring the best tag, right? And in some cases, that's true. Um, some species, some states, some units, that's true. In others, it's sort of a one-to-one. I get one more point and it took one more point to draw it every single year. And so it's always 10 points ahead of me or whatever the number is. In the worst case scenarios, like last year and the year before in Arizona, we saw, you know, we well, last year ended up being a drought or this year, I'm talking 2020 turned into a drought. Um, and so it wasn't what the early part of the season indicated it was going to look like. And so it, it actually ended up getting a little uglier than people thought, but <laughs> bottom line, the last two years in Arizona, there was reported record moisture, record antler growth, et cetera. And so units that had taken, you know, let's say 16 points in nine, in 2018, all of a sudden took 17 or 19, 20 points in 2019. So in one year, they jumped two or three points out ahead of you, right? So that, unfortunately, there's all three sides of point creep. There's that I'm slowly catching it because there's enough inventory cleaning out and the demand is low enough for those tags that I can catch it. Then there's that one-to-one where you're stuck in it. And then there's that stuff that's sort of, unfortunately, exponentially creeping away from you. Um, And again, that's why it's super important to recognize what you're up against and ask yourself what your goals are. Do any of the states max out on a number of preference points that you can have or does it just go on till eternity <laughs> until you die <laughs> <laughs> well um let me see here i gotta be careful answering this because every year there's a lot of, so at hunt and fool we spend a lot of time listening to all of the preliminary meetings game and fish commissions um rack committees all of these little independent groups that are griping about these problems like point creep right and so i we hear bits and pieces and i i don't remember offhand all that ever gets implemented there has been talk of freezing points in certain states i can't think of any offhand that are like that right now so unfortunately and if they are it's a very very small minority right now they're still letting points just continue to march away so as it is right now i'm probably going to have 300 points uh (laughs) well maybe not that many but like 80 points and and die with them 
uh, take them to my grave for desert bighorn sheep. Uh, <laughs> yes, you threw out a magic term right there. Yeah, if you're looking for a desert sheep, you know, they only issue a few hundred non-resident tags nationwide each year um, for sheep species of all kinds. So that includes, you know, Rocky Mountain, California, desert bighorn sheep. There's only, there's less than 300 non-resident tags issued in the entire U.S. for those species. So I typically, and I know I think we're going to do a sheep goat podcast, so I won't go too far into this, but I will say this, I typically consider my sheep applications a donation to conservation. (laughs) Um, You know, sort of like going to a banquet, a local banquet and buying some lottery ticket or some raffle tickets, et cetera. I look at it that one of these days, my lucky number may come up, but in the meantime, it went to a good cause. Exactly. Exactly. And I mean, uh, that's one of the amazing things about this whole process and everything is it's all of these funds that are generated go directly to conservation, directly to sustaining what we love, what we're passionate about this whole, whole tradition. So it's, you know, it can get expensive during the year. (laughs) (laughs) Come, Come January, you know, through those next few months, things uh, start getting a little pricey <laughs> now and then. The, uh, the, uh, I have my application credit card that I use, and and you know, so so speaking about that, you know, let's start let's start getting into maybe some of the you know these applications have costs, you know, and I know some people know of it, but you know some some states you have to put the cost up front. Some states you uh, put down a deposit. Some states, uh, you know, it's this, that, and the other, and it charges automatically. How how does this all work? As far as okay, you know, I've I've got to got to pay for this somehow. <laughs> well, all right. First of all, warning to listeners: super shameless plug for Hunt and Fool right now. Um, <laughs> we have. We have invented the first of its kind and just released it in the last month, free online cost calculator. We are going to steal your first and last name and your email address. I'm not going to spam the crud out of you. I promise. <laughs> I wish I had enough time to do that, but I don't. Um, but so basically you go to huntandfool.com. Uh, you don't have to log in as a member under the research tab. There's a, a draw cost calculator button there. And it is a really, really helpful tool. Anybody listening to this who's ever wanted to window shop what it costs to go apply, you you basically put, put in those couple little pieces of, of personal data. It opens up a state-by-state tab where you can click and expand everything from Alaska to Arizona, or Alaska to Wyoming, right? And each one of those, it's an important, again, this is where nuances of the draw come in and I'll, it, it's all related to cost. So I promise I'm not going to go off on the segue too long. Um, <laughs> it's important to check all the boxes inside of there. Cause for example, we have resident box versus non-resident box, right? So if I'm a resident of Arizona, my fee structure is very different than being a non-resident. So when you open that calculator, make sure that you play by the rules and check all the boxes. Same thing. We've got a youth box in there, changes all your fee structure. Now you get to a state like Wyoming. The reason why it's super important, why we force people to not only select the species, but also there's a little like unit selection or a, like, I can't even know what it's called, but basically there's a, another field right next to it where you have to pick what type of tag you want to draw for that species in Wyoming. Wyoming loves your money, loves your credit card. <laughs> and so they're going to charge you everything up front. I mean, honestly, if you go all in from bison to antelope or pronghorn in Wyoming, you're going to be out $13,000 plus on your credit card by the time Wyoming gets through soaking your, your Amex card, right? <laughs> um, granted, 
most of that's going to come back because you're probably not going to draw your sheep tag or your goat tag or this other kind of stuff. But the point is, if you put points only in Wyoming, though, then all of a sudden you're they're going to hit you thirty dollars in change for an antelope tag, forty in change for a deer tag. Uh, point, sorry, not tag, point. And again, we're talking preference points here. Going back to our our verbiage lesson from earlier. 30 bucks for an antelope, 40 for deer, 50 for an elk, instead of hitting you for the whole tag fees. And Wyoming is what we call a hybrid state, where it's it's 75% of the tags are allocated through the preference draw, and 25% are allocated randomly. Um, I kind of like those systems the best because even the brand new person, as long as there's enough tags available, has a chance to draw a tag with no points, Right. But those 75%, Wyoming, I can see when I'm going to draw my tag. Like I said earlier, I can see myself in the draw. So I can cruise along building, you know, a $50 and change elk point every year, working my way up until I got enough preference points to guarantee myself a tag and then plan the tag ahead of time. So I know it was a segue, but back, full circle, go check out that cost calculator. It's completely free. You can window shop till your heart's content. You can put every species in there. You can put, you know, make sure you put your age, if you're a youth, all that. And it has a live calculator running right beside you. And the reason I mentioned that is there's two categories in there. Well, there's a third, which is we have an application service. It'll throw a little number out there and tell you what it would cost if we were to handle all of this for you and do all your apps. I'm not trying to sell that service, I promise. I'm more interested in describing the other two costs because back to your point, there'll be an upfront cost and an out-of-pocket cost. And you can think of the upfront cost like Wyoming hitting me for my bison tag for $5,000 or whatever it is, um, even though I didn't draw it and they'll, they'll give me my money back. That's an upfront cost, right? And it runs live. It shows you what it's going to cost you upfront to apply with the boxes that you're checking and playing with. And then there's this out of pocket or non-refundable cost. That's what your net cost is going to be with the strategy you finally settle in on. And if you choose to save that, as all you got to do is hit email me and you get emailed a copy. It's got your fees and your application strategy in a PDF format emailed straight to you. And again, it's all free. So it's a cool little window shopping tool to see what it's really going to cost both upfront and out of pocket non-refundable. That's really cool. And I like that. I like that it sends you like the summary of it. So you have it there because I can't tell you how many times I've gotten it all figured out and I've accidentally closed a tab or a window <laughs> or, or something. And I'm like, oh crap, I have to go through that whole thing again because I can't remember which unit that was or you know what what I ended up deciding to do <laughs> yep. and so I like I like having that summary once I kind of once I get things sorted out it's there and I, I have my plan for the uh, for the next few months of applications yep exactly and and you know talking cost again I don't want to sound like I'm taking over the podcast here but talking cost you know, I always talk to people that you should kind of look at it as a monthly expense, right? A monthly investment in your future hunts. And, you know, I think it's hard to get a very good strategy for less than say $600 a year in non-refundable or out-of-pocket costs. You know, so what is that? $50 a month, you know, mm -hmm. from a budget point of view. Um, and for $600, you can get a pretty comprehensive strategy rolling that's going to put you in a lot of tags over the years, as long as you don't get caught in the, 
I'm too proud to burn my points mode, which a lot of people do. You know, we, we get too attached to them and we think they're too valuable. And But no, those points are meant to be opportunities is what we tell people, right? So for $600 a year or $50 a month, you can get a pretty darn good introductory strategy rolling. For $1,200 a year or $100 a month, and again, this is all money that's going to the state, right? Non-refundable. That's not coming to hunt and fool. That's just state fees. Uh, for about $1,200 a month, you can get a very comprehensive strategy. You mean $100 a month, $1,200 a year? Oh, yeah. Sorry. Did I say $1,200 a month? <laughs> I mean, you can put in some applications <laughs> if you got $1,200 a month right there. I mean, that's don't a, little, get... <laughs> a little rich for my blood. Yeah. Yeah. $100 a month. 1200 a year. Good catch. Um, you can get a very comprehensive strategy. And then honestly, if you're all, all, all in kind of all species all over the place, um, you know, you're pushing $2,000 a year or so in non-refundable fees. And so those are kind of some bookmarks you can look at. And certainly, again, you can use that cost calculator to go even cheaper. You can say, all right, I just want to hunt Arizona at some point in time in my life. And that's going to be about 260 a year or, or less, depending on how many species you put in for. But let's say 200 to 260 all in uh, a year and you're building points in Arizona. Hunting boots are a critical component of any successful hunt. Whether walking a short distance to your blind or trudging miles through rugged terrain, your feet are carrying the load. Without the right boots, you could give up early and lose out on that trophy just over the ridge. At Midway USA, we make selecting boots for your next hunt easier. With just a few clicks of a mouse, you can decide on what's important, like waterproofing, insulation, size, width, and savings. For just about everything for shooting, hunting, and the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. So, you know, we talk about these costs and and we touched on it a little bit, but what are some of the things that contribute to these costs? Because, you know, we talked about uh, whether, you know, you're buying licenses up front or tag fees up front. Sometimes it's refundable. Or are you just buying preference points? Does the tag and license come together? Like what how do these costs, what contributes to these costs? No, that's an excellent, excellent point. Um, you know, some states, in order to build points, in fact, more and more, it's it's becoming more the norm than not, you have to buy a non-refundable hunting license, a non-resident hunting license, uh, in order to start building your points, right, in order to accrue points. There are some exceptions to that, but again, they're growing, or they're 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 going to go the way of the dodo bird. They're not going to be around for long. Pretty much every state's going to require you to buy a license up front. And those licenses vary from, you know, $65 a year to the better part of $300 a year with the license and permits fees included that require you to apply for certain tags. So um, that's the major part of it. Then as a general rule, there's a small marginal cost on top of the non-refundable hunting license. And that's the per application species, right? Or per species application fee. And so when you look at a state, again, I'll go back to Arizona and you look at a 165-ish dollar non-refundable hunting license. And then the marginal cost of adding species varies a little bit, but let's say on average, it's 14 to 20 bucks you're oftentimes better off investing all in once. If you're really on a budget, you're better off picking kind of one state and going multiple species in that state than trying to get spread too thin and saying, well, I'm just going mule deer in five different states. And so it's like, well, you might as well go mule deer, pronghorn, uh, elk, bison, turkey, you name it in one state. So we've got those fees. Then what, uh, but some some states will allow you to just buy preference points. So say 
Wyoming, for example, I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, is one that you can just buy preference points as well That's correct. Uh, after the draw is finished. So, you know, you say, okay, and I forget, is Wyoming preference points or bonus points? What you, I think preference. you mentioned that. So they are preference points. Yep. So, you know, you, you say you look, you know, maybe I want to hunt, I want to hunt pronghorn in Wyoming. Uh, I'm looking, okay, that's the unit I want, but I don't have enough preference points for it this year. So I can wait till after the draw and there's a period where I can just buy preference points rather than going through the whole faulty roll of applying all of that money coming out first. And I think it's, it's not very expensive, if I remember correctly, to just pick up those preference points uh, by themselves. It's a little over $30 for a pronghorn preference point in Wyoming a year. There you so go. Yeah, you're right. Very economical. And so that's, I think, and again, that's where your calculator comes in handy, I'm sure, as well, as you you can see what it's like if you want to roll the dice this year and try and get try and get that when, okay, maybe you don't have, you know, you're kind of on the edge with the points or um, I, I think that calculator is a fantastic tool for people to help figure out those costs. Yeah. No, I'm super, super proud of that tool. I, it, it cost us a lot of money to build this tool. I'm just, I'm not going to tell you the number, but it was, <laughs> there's a lot of programming that went into basically generating this tool. So, you know, now that we kind of generally know, I, I guess some of what contributes to these costs, some of the different types of applications and points and structures, how does someone then go about building a hunt plan for the year? You know, we, we touched little bits here and there on it as we talked about cost, but, you know, I'm a new hunter and okay, you know, I know I want to go hunt deer, you know, and maybe I, I know I want to go hunt mule deer and, and I don't know, maybe maybe elk someday. And I don't know if I'm going to want to hunt sheep or this or that, you know, it's like, you're coming in, you're just like, I'm new to all this. I'm pretty sure I like hunting, but I want to make sure I can hunt for the rest. You know, I can, I'm not totally screwed myself for the rest of my hunting career. Right. Well, I think I'm going to answer that two ways. First of all, you know, there used to be this sort of legitimate fear that, Oh, what happens if I draw too many tags in one year? Right. Um, (laughs) That's a that. thing of the past. The reality is, I mean, you can see that coming if you're if you're really playing the fence and you're trying to get the easiest to draw tags or over the counter tags, et cetera. You can flood your your plate, but for the most part, when it comes to like particularly what we typically call once in a lifetime species, even though that's not totally accurate in all cases because you can harvest more than one in some states, but most of the time, like moose, shires moose, uh, bighorn sheep, mountain goat, it's kind of a once in a lifetime species. When you talk to those, you really you should, if you're thinking about them at all, I'd never recommend applying for points for those species. If you're applying for them, apply for them. Try to draw a tag every single year. Clear your schedule, make room. You're talking about draw odds that range from, you know, one in a couple of hundred in Idaho for sheep to one in thousands in, you know, like say Utah for, and New Mexico and other states. So clear your schedule put your name in the hat. Don't build points and make yourself so warm and fuzzy. Like you're getting closer to a sheep tag. The reality is you better be in that raffle every single year or else, you know? So um, I guess, first of all, you know, get the myth out of the head that I'm going to overload my plate with these really hard to they swing for the fence draws. And, you know, quite a few States give you some turn back options too. As real quick segue, for example, in Arizona, you can buy a $5 
for five extra dollars, you buy what's called point guard. It's an insurance policy. If I draw a tag and I decide I don't want it that year, I can turn it back in. They allow me to do it once per my in my lifetime per species. So use it wisely. But for $5, you've bought an insurance policy that you can turn that tag back. Not only do you keep your money, but you also get all your points reinstated and earn a point for that year. Right. So, and there's, there's more than Arizona that provide that. So again, keep in mind if you're going for once in a lifetime species or those really hard draws, swing for the fence and try. Um, now coming back to you, the question was basically how do I plan the hunt once I've acquired the tags or plan my fall? Well, you know, I, I mean, I want to, I'm, I'm just getting into hunting. I'm, I'm starting out, you know, maybe this is my, my first year. I'm pretty sure I'm going to want to hunt more, you know, these following years. So I want to, I want to hunt every year, but I also don't want to sacrifice my ability to, you know, maybe go on a once in a lifetime hunt. How do I, how do I start planning this out for the future? No, I think that's a good question, you know, and I I think the right answer is, is first of all, to kind of parse it out by species Mm -hmm. and understand that, you know, you've got to recognize that very, very rarely can you plan a hunt for two species that's going to be very successful, right? I've had tons of tags in my pockets where I've had a deer tag and an elk tag at the same time. And I'm, it always ends up turning into an elk hunt or a deer hunt. So I'm always pretty specific about making a plan around the species I want to hunt. And then recognizing that if I play my cards right, there's enough states um, that have point systems or over-the-counter or easy-to-acquire tags that I can go on a hunt every single year that's going to fill my sort of bucket list for these species. But to your point, I got to look out ahead, you know, five years at a minimum and even 10 years and say, okay, I want to hunt elk in, you know, year X. For example, right now, I drew Wyoming. Since Wyoming started a point system, I drew it three times. Uh, Elk. I'm talking elk hunting specifically here. And I knew if I played my cards right, I could probably draw Wyoming three times. And then I knew from that point forward, the point creep was going to be so far ahead of me that trying to get back in the game and try to acquire any of those really coveted tags was just not going to work. Thankfully, Wyoming has their Wyoming general hunts, which general scares a lot of people off. You think, oh boy, you know, that's, I'm going to be ran over with orange, right? What, what the reason it's called general is because Wyoming residents can buy these tags over the counter, but we as non-residents have to drop, have to acquire them through the draw. And with a couple preference points, I've got a legitimate shot at acquiring another Wyoming tag. And so you're, you're trying to look at the preference draws, the over the counter tags, the species, and plan this little hopscotch out for the next four, five, six, 10 years. And if you do that, you can legitimately have a great, well-planned and well-executed hunt every year for the next decade. So, and, and correct me if I'm not understanding you, right? What what you're kind of saying is you want to look at the species you want to hunt and you want to look at that as, okay, what do I want to hunt every year? Yep. What do I, what do I want to hunt maybe a few times in my life? And what do I want to hunt you know, what do I want to go for maybe once, once or twice in a lifetime at most and effectively start having a plan be like, okay, this is my plan to hunt every year, whether it's, you know, I'm going to hunt a mule deer this year and an elk this year or and an elk next year or whatever it is. And then, okay, this is the the species or maybe the hunt type. So, you know, it may not even be a, a more rare species. It may just be a better quality elk tag or something like that 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 you can draw you're probably you're 
probably not going to be able to keep up more than every five years, something like that. And then, then you have, of course, like the golden, <laughs> you know, the golden goose kind of, kind of tag the, that you're basically investing. And once you finally end up drawing that tag in your, in your golden years of hunting, <laughs> um, you're you're probably not going to be investing in that tag anymore after that. Uh, is that I mean, is that a fairly accurate? And I don't know if I made it any simpler or not. But no, I think you did. Effectively, yeah. you're trying to build a an every year, a, I don't know, three to five year, and then a ten plus year plan. Yeah, no, I think that's very fair. And again, I I hate to keep using myself as an example, but I think there's relevant data here. For the last 38 years, I've always had at least one elk tag in my pocket for 38 years. Having said that, I have 21 elk points in Arizona because I know that I'm probably going to get to hunt Arizona once in my lifetime, and I really want it to be the hunt that meets my expectations, right? So, yeah, I've always going elk hunting. The reason I have 21 points there isn't because I'm afraid to go hunt elk. It's because I'm saving that. You know, that's my that's my baby, you know, the one I'm really looking the most forward to. So, yeah, I think you I think you outlined that really well. So you'd, you'd also probably hate me if I told you I, I drew unit eight on three points. Uh, um, yes, I do hate you. <laughs> but the reason I have 21 points isn't because I don't apply. It's just I've never been able to quite get that tag. I, I I will tell you, of course, I happened to draw that on like the worst worst rut Arizona's had in 17 years. But uh, eh, I digress. You but probably get... deserve that for 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 pulling an end run like that on all of us. I absolutely did deserve that. But I did get my first elk, so I'm I'm pretty dang happy about that. Hey, that um, that that's a great little tie to. Uh, I probably should have discussed this in the beginning. I know I've mentioned hybrid draw a couple times when we we're talking about bonus. Well, random bonus and preference draw. Arizona is, so Wyoming is a true hybrid draw with preference points, right? 75% go to Mac or to point holders, 25% go random. Arizona is a hybrid draw with bonus points. So where their bonus points sort of act like preference points at the highest point levels. So um, unlike a true bonus point system where I just get more and more names in the hat, uh, like Nevada would be. Um, and you just hope that eventually your random number comes up. Arizona does pat you on the back. And then when you get, when you are the max bonus point holder, they're treated like preference points in their draw. So you got lucky, drew a random tag in unit eight. Um, I have put in for a number of tags where I also could have gotten lucky and drawn one of the random tags, but I haven't ever burned deliberately burned those max points in a unit where I knew I could be guaranteed that those points would be treated like preference points. So I have enough points now that I could easily draw that unit eight tag. I'd be guaranteed. In fact, I'd be way overshooting that. Mm -hmm. Um, So there are hybrid draws as well. Um, Not just bonus preference and random. And that's interesting because I have heard because of that calculating the draw odds in Arizona is like, kind of a magical feat sometimes like it's a it's a very strain because of how it kind of changes based on the max number of points calculating those draw odds is is kind of a a difficult feat it's a nightmare um i'll be honest i outsource our draw odds i pay people who are way way smarter than any of us are to do it and that's why our draw odds are so accurate but just to give you an even worse scenario than arizona nevada 
So first of all, a lot of states, when you apply in the draw, they'll look at your first choice. And if, and if it's available, they'll award you the tag. But, they, but if it's not available, they won't look at your second choice until they've looked at everybody else's first choice in the draw too, right? So, so there's a lot of draws that are conducted that way. Nevada says, well, we're going to throw a fly in the ointment. We're going to look at five choices. So your first five choices, your lucky number comes up. Choice A is gone, choice B is gone, et cetera. They're going to look at your first five choices before they move to the next application. Furthermore, they square your bonus points in the draw. So it's an exponent attached to your point. So if you have 10 bonus points, there's 100 chances. And then they're going to look at each of your choices five times. So calculating those becomes a mathematical nightmare. So so our contractor buys complete data sets from the states that show every single point level that was drawn at every single tag. And then we run thousands and thousands of simulations to calculate true draws at your point level because it factors in that squared point factor. And... You know, we're, I'm we're really, out. I realize I just over nerded this conversation. Oh, no. And I, I mean, I love it because I'm nerding out on that too. But all of that being said, is what that's one of the benefits of a service like Hunt and Fool. Um, it's, is you guys handle a lot of that and you make it very simple. It's not like somebody has to figure this out, out all on their own, you know, by digging into the state data or anything like that and um you know we're talking about uh all of these different things all this different complexity and people are you know maybe thinking like okay i thought you were going to simplify this whole process for me you're just you're just kind of scaring the crap out of me Uh, (laughs) (laughs) i'm as intimidated as ever and uh all of this information we're giving is is more of for definition purposes so as these topics come up in conversation you understand what they are but now i guess let's also talk about the good thing to talk about is hunting in your home state versus hunting out of state when the difference between resident and non-resident tags i think we touched on that a little bit but let's maybe let's jump a little bit more into that because that'll that'll also have a lot of relevance on building out your hunt plan for the year Sure. Yeah, no, and that's important when you look at specific units or zones that you're applying for, um, because tags are, as a general rule, uh, across draw systems, greatly allocated to residents over non-residents. Average rule of thumb is 90-10, right? 90% of the tags are going to go to residents, up to 10% to non-residents. Now, that varies to as little as 3%, and again, I'm good shooting from the hip here on my personal knowledge. So uh, you, I'll have a fact checker call me out, I'm sure. But I think we can go down as low as 3% is the lowest allocation I'm aware of. And up into the 20s, 20% uh, as the, at the highest. Bottom line is most tags go to residents and a fewer number go to non-residents. And then the fee structure, of course, greatly fa- favors residents over non-residents as well. A resident elk tag, let's just hypothetically, might cost $50. That same non-resident elk tag might cost $500. Um, they're counting on the non-resident revenue to really drive a, a lot of the funding for the state wildlife. Let's just say there's a, a numerous reasons I've moved to Montana yes. versus, say, Wyoming or Idaho. Uh, and and I would be remiss in saying that that was not actually one of the big reasons. Because, I mean, I'm sure somebody will correct me, but I would say Montana is probably as far as the disparity between the resident and non-resident tag fee structure, 
I'd say there's not many states that there's a wider gap between the two. It's huge, right? Yeah. yeah. You're talking a thousand bucks for an elk tag versus uh, less than a hundred. Yeah. <laughs> I think uh, there's definitely benefits too. And, and I think we, we talked about this in our prior discussion. I think somebody needs to find some tie in with like Zillow <laughs> to where you can, you can see draw odds and, and tag fees based on like the house you select and, and, <laughs> or the location you're moving to and a relative amount of opportunity. Right. Yeah. In exactly. Montana, Wyoming, Idaho, they're all great for residents. Um, and rightfully so, you know, they're limiting non-resident pressure. They're trying to take care of, of the, of the homeboys, so to speak. Um, you know, one thing you touched on, you're talking about simplification and you know, when I mentioned, Again, I sound like I'm putting my hunt and fool hat on here, so I apologize. But All good. I mentioned the 1,500 pages of content that we print every year. You know, every state has different verbiage too. Like you'll hear me use tag and permit interchangeably because for the most part they are. Um, but in reality, they're not always uh, interchangeable. Sometimes they mean very different things. One of the things we do in that 1,500 pages of content we print every year, we repurpose every state's big game regulations and create a common verbiage that is identical in every one of our state sections. So we condense a 170 page regulation pamphlet from a non-resident state, break it down into the most important nuggets that you're going to need to know in order to hunt there. And we use the same exact language through all 12 issues of ours so that you know that when we talk about a tag, it's a tag. When we talk about hunter safety versus hunter education versus youth opportunities, you name it, we create a common uh, verbiage that really makes it easy to understand these. And, and again, we're, we're condensing hundreds and hundreds of pages of regs into um, a very brief but very important piece of information like weapon restrictions, for example, like you need to know if, if you have a muzzle loader in Montana versus Washington versus Arizona versus Utah, they're all treated very differently in terms of the restrictions associated with them. Archery equipment, you name it. We, we break all that down at the state level in each of our state sections. You know, and that, that's one thing I noticed very, uh, very quickly when I was applying for Montana, for example, is, you know, the differences between like a license and the permit. And it took me a minute to, because I'll admit I was at the time not using the service. Right. And so trying to figure that out and being like, wait a second, wait, I'm buying a license or I'm, I guess I'm putting in for a license. Uh, Cause I mean, it's pretty much a guaranteed draw, but, but then I'm also putting in for a permit. So I have the license and that's good for this period. and like the whole season, but then I've got this permit that then attaches to my license and it's good for this section. And, hmm. and then, but then, yeah, you go to a different state and permit and license are going to mean two completely different things, or right. it may just mean a tag or whatever that happens to be. Yep. And so that, that is huge. That is just <laughs> developing that common language and breaking it down is, is I think super, super beneficial for people. Yeah, no, we find our, our readers really appreciate that. Quite frankly, we do too. And there's times where we have meetings together where we're like, what does this mean? Like, this is our entire job and we don't understand what this, you know, State Game and Fish Commission just published. Then they don't even know what they're talking about, you know, and then we're on the phone and we get on hold of the right rule makers to verify, does this mean what we think this means, you know? So trying to do that legwork on your behalf. Well, it's nice. It feels like, 
because it's tough like for someone like me to be able to really get in get in touch with someone at game and fish that can authoritatively speak to what this regulation means because i was having this conversation the other day uh actually with someone about with a friend about fishing regulations Mm -hmm. the way something was phrased was really weird and didn't seem to make sense and so she called up fish and game they couldn't explain it either no like the the person that she got in touch with and so having an advocate like you guys who have let's face it a little more pull because of you know of your status to reach someone who is actually kind of a decision maker and can give a definitive answer on what this means i mean you're effectively working as a lobbyist or an activist on our on our behalf and it's fantastic it's it's really cool that you can you can do that well no that's true and i mean let's be honest most of our clients and members have a nine to five, right? And believe me, fishing game does not work outside of nine to five. So, you know, unless you have a job like us where our nine to five is to be on the phone, beating up those phone lines until we find the right person. Um, it's really, it can be difficult. You can play phone tag for months sometimes trying to get an answer from a game and fish department. And, and I don't blame them. I mean, it's not like they should be working until 10 o'clock at night either, but their schedule aligns with ours where it does not align with most of our members. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. So one other thing you kind of talked about was you mentioned, you know, uh, archery versus muzzleloader versus rifle. And we haven't really even touched on that as well, because that's a big part of effect, affecting draw odds, whether or not you're, it's, it's something you can hunt every year. And then it's also different. That's something else that's very different in a lot of different states, whereas you have Montana, you get a license and you can hunt, you know, through multiple seasons versus other states You've got, you know, three weeks of archery season and that's your only chance to hunt right then and there. Maybe like, uh, how do the, how do all of those relate? Like what, you know, what are these different seasons kind of a thing typically? No, that's an excellent point. And Montana is a good example of a state that says, yep, uh, you got a tag or permit or a license or whatever you want to call it, <laughs> license to kill. Um, and you can hunt multiple weapons, multiple seasons, and quite frankly, all over the state. Um, you know, Wyoming is similar to that, particularly for residents. There's exceptions based on the type of tag you draw, you know, and, and they're actually spelled out. Like if you draw a type nine elk tag in Wyoming, you're going to hunt with a bow. It's that simple, right? But um, yeah, to your point, again, talking about weapon restrictions, archery and muzzleloader, or let me be more specific, restricted muzzleloader, because like if you take Utah and New Mexico, they are an unrestricted muzzleloader state. You can essentially operate a single shot load from the muzzle rifle is really what they say scopes sabots pelletized powder you name it if you can make it happen you can create a 600 plus yard muzzleloader equivalent in those two states but then you roll up to like idaho and washington and it's like hey you can't shoot a sabot bullet you have to shoot loose powder you can only shoot iron sights no scope etc 
for most of their seasons that are muzzleloader only. So if you're talking about a highly restricted weapon like archery or like a traditional muzzleloader, your draw odds get better. I mean, that's just a fact. Your, your harvest success goes down and therefore your draw odds go up. And so making decisions on what do I want to apply for can be centered around that. One thing I want to point out is that if you get, let's say you build elk points in Utah, they're irrespective of weapons in I think every single state, again, fact checker might jump on me here, but basically if you've got elk points and you've been applying for a rifle tag and then you finally decide, all right, I'm over it. I'm going to get a bow and I'm going to go archery. The elk points are transferable across all weapon platforms. That is something that's important to note. Um, Where was I going with all these lies? Uh, (laughs) (laughs) I guess basically, uh, yeah, you got to identify, you know, your, again, your goals, how often do I want to hunt? Is success the absolute measure that I will define my, the quality of my hunt by? Uh, if it is, then center fire rifle hunts are way more su- likely to have success than uh, an archery hunt, an over-the-counter archery hunt, right? Uh, it's just statistically the way it works. I like archery hunting, but I'm also willing to eat a lot of tags. I said <laughs> I've had an elk tag every year for the last 38 years. I also have a pile of elk tags that I could make a nice stew out of. Oh yeah. I've got, I've got my Ziploc bag uh, Uh full of, full of different tags over here behind me. And one of these days I'm going to make some sort of shadow box collage thing. Who knows? I don't know. Something, something off of Pinterest. I'm sure (laughs) (laughs) out of my, all my tags, I'll wallpaper my office with them. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. No, I definitely know how that goes because archery has always been my passion, my excitement. And, uh, like I said, I've been hunting for about four years, but I just got my first elk this year. So that's awesome. And you know, that's something interesting. I also explained to people, uh, you know, I had this discussion the other day, I was kind of explaining how, how this draws or work, you know, and, and how it's for the most state. And we, you know, this is again, simplifying it. It's, it's directed by wildlife biologists and how they allocate these tags and, you go and you draw this tag and it has a very low success rate effectively. What, what is it? Archery is like less than 10% or it's like less than 12%. Yeah. On average, on average for elk or something like that. Um, So you have a 10% chance for this rather expensive tag that you just bought. And if you don't get it done, you don't get the money back. You (laughs) don't get to, you know, in, in most cases you don't get to go try again next year. It's, that was your chance. Yep. And you just made a really nice donation to conservation. Every time you're at a family function or around your buddies and they ask you if you got your elk, you have to say, no, I didn't get my elk. <laughs> <laughs> Cone of shame. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Trust me. I know that I was giving a, uh, I was giving a stuffed uh, little elk for Christmas one year <laughs> as a, uh, as, as a, a jab in the ribs from my, a good buddy. <laughs> yeah. Good friends. will kick you while you're down. That's how you know they're good friends. <laughs> Um, well, and so maybe that, that would be something cool. Like, and I mean, this is taking it way back to the core basics and maybe we should have even talked about this at the very beginning, but I mean, super, super simplify, you know, as we said in, in the ultimate case scenario, tags are allocated based off of like wildlife biologists saying, okay, we have, you know, states are broken down into units which is different sections of a state and the wildlife biologists say like, okay, this is how many animals are animals of this species are in, are in this unit. This is 
you know, how many it can sustain. This is how many of each, you know, whether it's cows and bulls or does and bucks, how many of each we can remove. And mm-hmm. that's how tags are allocated in again, simplification. Yep. There's oh, that's fair. more to it and politics yeah, <laughs> as yeah, well yeah. as but always. Overall, that's very fair. Yes. So how does that then, okay. Say 10 animals in a unit need to be, need to be eliminated or can be eliminated. And so they say, okay, we, we are, we're able to remove 10 elk from this unit, you know, just being super simple. How do success rates then, uh, to turn, you know, success rates and the amount of animals, how do then they kind of figure out how many tags to allocate then? <laughs> well, I wish it was more scientific than it is. Um, I mean, they try to apply the science that, they, that their budget allows them to, but at the end of the day, one of our biggest pet peeves at Hunt and Fool is there are very few states that even have mandatory harvest reporting, right? At the end of the year, if you buy an Idaho tag of any kind for big game species, you owe Idaho a report whether you harvested, how many days you hunted, what unit you hunted in, what you saw, et cetera. It's not that hard with today's technology to mandate that. Contrast that with your, your now home state, my former home state of Montana. And what you're probably going to do is you're probably going to get some random call at some point in time throughout the year from some lady who's probably partially retired. Hey, did you fish this year? Uh, no. Okay. And then three weeks later, some dude, hey, did you hunt upland game birds? Uh, no. It's so inefficient. It's so bloated. And at the end of the day, they miss 90% of their constituents. So they don't even know of those, to your point, let's say they issued hundred tags, expecting a 10% harvest success ratio to take 10 animals out of the population. Most states do not have mandatory harvest reporting and they don't even know for sure. So, and then to, to make it worse, a lot of times they're grounded, their budget's grounded. They can't go out and fly like they, like they should, et cetera. I mean, I don't want to bag on it because I do know that they try to do the best they can. And I also don't want to make it sound like, you know, to, to maybe your listeners who are fairly new to hunting, I don't want to question the sustainability of it because what I will say is they err on the side of caution for the most part, right? If they think they can harvest 10, they're going to put a system together where we might harvest six or eight. And I I do appreciate that because they know that the model has to be sustainable. We've proven that the North American conservation model is the most successful on planet Earth uh, in the history of mankind. So we've proven that it works, but there are some major holes in it. The biggest being... I mean, literally, I'm, I'm not much of a tech guy, but I could build a website that could collect mandatory harvest reporting in a week. Come on, I, Montana. I will say I, I gripe about California a lot, and I hate, hate using California as any example of doing anything right because there's <laughs> so few things. But the harvest reporting, I mean, it is simple you get automated email reviews you go yep. to the same place you buy your tags and can reprint everything it's all in one place one dashboard you get automated emails that tell you you better go respond and if you don't reply you get fined the next year if i if i want to go by if i my my guilty thing is always the pig tags i always forget to report my dang pig tags yep cuz they're such a such like a weird part of the year yep and next year when i go to buy a pig tag guess what? It's like cost me almost double now because yep. I didn't report last year. You get a fine and your license is in timeout until you complete said harvest report. It's an easy system. Idaho has been doing it for as long as I can remember hunting Idaho. I've, I, I grew up in Idaho. I lived in Idaho 32 years. I cannot remember back far enough to a time that they did not have mandatory harvest reporting. I'm asking myself how we're in 2020 
Well, I guess we could talk about how poor we are at counting ballots too at this point in time. So <laughs> I don't mean to step on a hot zone, but my point is, come on, government, stop letting us down. Like, well, let's freaking figure out how to t- keep track of what's going on in your state. It's so simple. And like I said, states have been proving it for a long time. It's not like there's nobody doing it. There are people that they could go to and look at as best case examples and say, how are you doing this? Oh, awesome. And Idaho even sweetens the pot. I remember they used to have a early report bonus where if you reported your harvest early or reported your harvest report card early, they, they would put you in for a super tag drawing and you might win a tag that was good in the entire state of Idaho for a once in a lifetime species. Oh, wow. That's like a nice little pet attaboy. That's how you do it. Yeah. Okay. So I totally been, went off the rails on oh, you. No, no, that was all of this. No, trust me. That was like, it's hard for me not to go into that because like I'm full blown like capitalist libertarian. And I think that <laughs> we should privatize the whole tag draw system because I guarantee somebody could, a private company could do it 10 times better, but I digress. Uh, <laughs> you know, we've been, we've been chatting for about an hour about all of this stuff, you know, all of the terms and how things work. And it's like I said, it's a lot to take in. And we started going back down the road of like, I want to kind of wrap this up and again, simplify it and say, okay, I want to start building out my plans. And a lot of this we're going to go into detail on in the different species episodes. But overall, like, what am I looking at if I want to build like this, you know, again, simply one year, like every year a five-year and a 10-year plan? Like, what are maybe some examples of how I could do that? Like, you know, what I would be, what I would be looking at? Because I know, I know kind of what I've done myself for, for different species, but what are maybe some examples of that? And, and we can kind of uh, tie this episode off with a bow. Ooh, man, you got me on the spot here. I mean, it's a great question. It's the right question, right? But it's, it's, it's very broad. And again, not to go back to species, but a lot of times that's species specific. I'll use a good example. If, if you're trying, if you're a mule deer fanatic um, and you're looking at say a $600 a year, non-refundable budget that you're comfortable with, then Nevada is going to be on the menu. But if you're an elk fanatic and you could care less about mule deer, I'm going to probably pull Nevada back off because the odds are so terrible. And I'm going to put a different state in there. So that it does vary a lot based on like, what's your real passion? Are you mostly passionate about elk or deer, whatever, antelope, you name it. But having said that, you know, for me, I would look at what states allow you to build points only that are meaningful. So Wyoming preference points are meaningful within two to three years right now, you can be guaranteed to draw one of those general tags. That's good for archery in half the state and rifle in half the state. That's a good opportunity in Montana. And this is really going to confuse everybody. Montana is a bonus point and a preference point system. And the bonus points are species specific. The preference points are just to acquire the license. So for $50, roughly a year, I can build a couple of preference points in Montana and be guaranteed to acquire an elk tag or a deer elk combo or a deer tag, again, depending on your passions. So, you know, Montana is another great investment. Um, Keep in mind that in Montana on those preference points, as it sits right now, you can't build more than two before you go into the draw and then they'll purge them if you don't go into the draw. So you have to have like Montana's got to be kind of on a rope for you. Like, hey, in in two to three years, I'm going to Montana. So I'm buying a preference point this year in the points only period, 
preference point next year. And on, on the way into the draw, I'm going to buy a third preference point and I'm going to guarantee that I get my, you know, my combo license. Um, so Montana, Wyoming, Colorado, again, I use them as an example of, of a point system that's gone amok for the upper end tags, but on the lower end tags for four points or fewer, you can draw dozens of elk and deer tags across the state. You know, and then more importantly, I would throw some states out, um, you know, Washington, you're going to be out of pocket $600 almost in non-refundable fees to build elk points in a state that is a bonus point system with really terrible draw odds. And the reason why you're out so much money is because Washington requires you to buy the elk tag, no matter what, to apply for elk points. So then you're stuck with an elk tag that quite frankly is either spike only in most of the state, or you have a handful of Rocky Mountain units up in the Selkirks and stuff like that, that are 7% harvest success with a rifle. Like I'm talking tough, tough elk hunts, or you got to go beat the brush in the West coast. Plus they draw a line and they say you're buying East tags, East elk tags or West elk tags. Right. You know, and so it's like, no, don't apply in Washington for elk points or deer points until they figure out that their system stinks too bad for non-residents. <laughs> so I, I know I'm going off the rails on you again. It's probably like, oh, like information barf, but. Well, and I'm, and it, so I guess what I'm getting at is like, okay, we want to look at states where it's going to have that ultimate thing. And then building those preference points in a financially, you know, financially reasonable way, yep. uh, you know, and so you, you want to balance that and then, then you've got those mid-range states, but then, you know, you want to be able to hunt every year. And so hunting every year, we're looking at, what are we looking at? We're looking at over-the-counter units. Um, we're looking at pretty much guaranteed draw units, things like that in, in different states. A lot of the time you may be looking at stuff in your home state more likely to hunt every year, depending on where you live. If you're uh, a Western person, Right. Exactly. And yeah, yeah, if you and you know, we're generally talking Western hunts. If you're if you're out in Connecticut and uh you're wanting to hunt mule deer and elk, you may you're pretty much yeah, you're not you're not buying resident tags anywhere. Right. Um but you can hunt every single year the way it's currently configured. Yep. You those species that we're talking about, you literally if you get creative with your weapon choices, you get creative with uh, a little bit of a point strategy and don't get attached to, you know, 20 year draws, you can hunt every single year. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's, I think that's really all I'm getting at. And heck never hurts to put in for those hundred percent random draw States like New Mexico or sure. cause you never know when you'll be like me and draw an odd ad on your first, uh, <laughs> on your first year applying. <laughs> wow. Just wow. Oh yeah. I'm one of those guys. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think, you know, that's a, that's a good spot to kind of, kind of wrap this one up. And, you know, I think this is a good episode for anyone that's now going to be listening to some of our species specific episodes to just understand what the heck we're talking about. This one was a little bit, I, you know, we were a little bit all over the place and, and, <laughs> and uh, pinballing around, you know, bouncing off the walls as stuff would come up, but you know, it's, this was a good reference. So as we go in then people are like, okay, they're talking about again, preference points versus bonus points or, a, you know, license versus tags or why, you know, why would I apply for archery versus muzzleloader in this, in this unit kind of a thing. Yeah. I feel like now people begin to understand that. So I appreciate you sitting down, taking the time. Where can people find hunt and fool online? 
huntandfool.com. And again, we're too redneck to afford the G or the apostrophe. So it's just H-U-N-T-I-N-F-O-O-L, one who is foolish.com. Uh, that's the best place to check us out. There's lots of resources on there, videos, et cetera. And again, a lot of free tools that you can surf around, kind of get to know who Hunt and Fool is and what we do before you before you. And, you know, honestly, we have a policy. First consultation is on us. If you ever want to call Hunt and Fool, 435-865-1020 uh, and say, hey, I heard the first uh, first consultation is on the house. I'd like to be put in the queue. We basically you get dropped into a call board that we have here. And one of us will pick up the phone and call you back. And we can talk about everything from application strategies to what spotting scope we think you should buy. So nothing's off limits there. We do want you to know uh, or to believe in the service before you become a member. So not only can they take advantage of that first free consultation, but uh, we talked earlier and as a very special uh, gift to anybody listening to this podcast, uh, we are going to use code TWI60. Yep, TWI60. And what that will get you is a 60 free days of a uh, Hunt and Fool digital membership. Um, so you can get in, you can check out the platform, really see the value and realize what you've been missing out on and get your butt subscribed. So that's TWI 60, get yourself a 60 day hunt and fool digital membership. Yeah. We'd love for you to check it out. That includes EMAG access. So you can look at all 1500 pages of that content, um, per, you know, peruse it to your heart's content to make sure it actually does what we say it's going to do for you. Uh, along with a whole host of other tools, honestly. That's awesome. I will make sure to link to that on the show notes page at the wild I am happy to see, you know, you guys may not be fancy enough for the G, but uh, you you did class it up a bit and add that I I in so uh, I've got it. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Not just mm-mm. the mm-mm, fool. I still I still have some old uh, fool uh, shirts from back in the day. So HNTN days, yes sir. HNTN, uh, awesome. Well, thank you so much for taking the time. Looking forward to chatting more on our species episodes. I appreciate it. Have an awesome day. All right, y'all, that'll do it for this episode of The Wild Initiative. Make sure to check out the show notes page at thewildinitiative.com. Get links to everything we talked about in today's episode. Big thank you to Jared for taking the time out of his day to sit down and talk through the draw process with us. Make sure you all check out Hunt and Fool. uh, Take advantage of that first free consultation and make sure you use code TWI60. Get 60 free days, y'all. That's two months. You can get a ton of research for your tag draws in those 60 days done. That'll do it for this week. Looking forward to next time. But until then, I hope this podcast inspired you to get involved, get outdoors, and plan your initiative for the wild. Thank you for listening to The Wild Initiative. Please take a moment to leave a rating and review on iTunes or Stitcher and head on over to thewildinitiative.com to get show notes, check out the blog, gear discounts, other podcasts from the Wild Initiative family, and more. I'm Will Cooper, and you're listening to HuntStand's Make Your Mark podcast on the Waypoint Podcast Network. Stick around as I bring you more stories and interviews from veteran hunters and industry professionals who inspire us all to be better equipped in the woods and in life. In Wild Country, rules were not created by man. Don't miss Wild Country, Wednesdays from 7 to 11 p.m. Eastern. Presented by Primos. Speak the language. Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment.